Thank you. I'm Daniel by one of the pastors, and it's uh, a joy to be back after a vacation. We, uh, I, we are from Romania, so we, I grew up there, and our family is there. We had an opportunity to visit them. My father turned 80 this June, and I wanted him to visit with my mother-in-law. She is 83, but uh, the family said they cannot make that trip. So then uh, our children said, then we need to go and, and visit with them. And we did. We had a wonderful time. And it's so good uh, to be back. One of the things we enjoyed there was what they did a week or two even before we left. Uh, they called us and they said, uh, what would you like to eat when we get home? What would you like to have your first meal when you get home? Wow, what a, what a good uh, question, right? So my mother-in-law, she uh, bakes amazing uh, cheese pies and apple pies. And my mother has those great... Uh, stuffed uh, cabbage rolls you know it's it's an amazing taste that I never forget and never get tired of uh, having so it was very hard when I, we came back to go back on the scale so right now I think both me and uh, a precious uh, spouse uh, we are going to start a, a diet uh, <laughs> tomorrow okay <laughs> but it, it's tough you know so my, my point is I can tell you about the food there right and you can say, oh, yeah, they, they had these nice pies and, and uh, cabbage rolls and everything else. But uh, have you tasted them? Right? There's a big difference between understanding what I'm saying and tasting those things. Now, I experience those things, and I have them on me someplace. You don't want to see. But uh, so, you see, it's a difference between understanding what I'm saying and experiencing them. So we are back in the book of... Uh, in this, in this Ephesians, and it's like a journey, right? Paul says this is a journey to find your place. And we need to find our place in God's, in God's kind of work of salvation. Maybe you heard last Sunday, Pastor Ron talked about the oik, you know, the oik konomia, the, the, the work of God to save us. And in a way, what Paul is doing here in chapter 3, he says... For this reason, and he almost wants to, to pray immediately, but there is a digression. And last week was this digression. He says, for this reason, I want to pray, but wait, wait a minute. Let me just talk to you a little bit more about your salvation. And now in verse 14, he comes back. So he has, for this reason, I, knee, I, I kneel. Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. It's, it's very unusual in a way. We don't think about it, but prayer in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, is always standing, most of the time is standing, or raising, lifting your hands up and facing God or Jerusalem and the temple. But when you kneel, like Paul did, there is some reverence there, some intensity, high stakes prayer, and there is a reverence that Paul brings into this. And he says, I go before the Father because there is something precious I want you to have. And then he follows with his Powerful, powerful prayer in these verses from 14 to 21. And basically what Paul says is, and I like what Tim Keller, and Tim Keller was very helpful in my sermon, but he says this, you cannot go through the Bible or in the Bible and just leave it there and not pray. Every time you read God's Word, if you really understand it, if you grasp what it says, you will be led to prayer. And that's what Paul is saying here. Basically, he says, I'm journeying with you. Look at God's amazing thing, what he is doing. 
In chapter 1, he talks about our election, adoption, justification. Chapter 2, we become the temple, the place where God's Spirit dwells. And then he says, but if I'm thinking about this work of God in salvation, I need to pray. I, I, I bow down my knees. It is one thing to, to say, I want you to experience this. But Paul says, no, I want God. I pray to God the Father. So he says, I kneel. This is serious for me. I want you to experience. I kneel before God the Father because I need to know that you have this experience. That you go and experience something amazing. You see, on our way back from, uh, from Romania, we stopped by, and uh, it was a red coat in Romania, very, heat, uh, very hot in the whole area. Uh, but we said, what, what can we do so we don't suffer so much? And so let's go in the Alps. So for three days, we visited the Alps. The Alps, I've never been there. Uh, Mont Blanc is basically the white mountain. It's always white because it's covered in snow. And it's the highest peak in Western Europe, almost like 16,000 feet. It's a beautiful place to visit. And should you need more information, Felicia and I will be uh, willing to talk to you and show you pictures. But when you read about these beautiful Alps, it's one thing to read what others say, and it's another thing to go and see and take the picture. There's a powerful, powerful ride, you know, it's like five kilometers long, right on a telecabin. Is the panoramic view of the Mont Blanc. And you go a really high altitude. It's almost like, I don't know, 13,000 feet or something like that. And people say, you know, when you go there, make sure that you remember you will get sleepy and tired because of the air. I didn't, I didn't catch that. But once we got there, both me and my two kids, we were like, we were like, like, like this, you know, just to stay awake because it was so tiring. I felt that there's a thousand, thousand pounds on my, on my eyelids. Now, it's one thing to read about it, and it's another thing to experience it, to feel dizzy, to feel tired, to feel sleepy, to feel that there's nothing else you want in the world. It doesn't matter. You just want to sleep. So this is what Paul tells us in this portion. He says, do you know what? I want all of you to have to grasp and to know God's love for you. I want you not to be just Christians. I want to be strong Christians. In another letter in 2 Corinthians, he says, there are some Christians who are babies, and you can live in a church all your life and just drink the milk. It's healthy. But he says, I want you to be on this journey, to continue to grow, to be strong, to have some meat. And Calvin says that there is nothing better there's no more perfection for a Christian than to always be growing. Always continue the journey of growing. You cannot stop growing in your faith. So the question for us this morning is, have you, have you been changed by Christ? Has Christ changed you? Has Christ transformed your heart? Let's follow with Paul this text. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that being rooted and established in love, that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then he finishes with this benediction and blessing. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If you were to summarize what Paul says, he basically says, I pray for each and every one of you because I want every one of you Christians to be real, authentic, and to experience Christ's love in a life-changing way. I want you to have a life-shattering encounter with Christ. And not only when you come to acknowledge his, his existence or His love, but when you come to experience it, to live it out. So three questions in our text. Why do Christians need it? First, why do we need this experience? Why? Why? Second, what is it that we are missing? How do we describe this thing that we are missing? And finally, how do we grab it? How do we get it? Is there a way to get it? So let's start with why. Why do we need it? You see, if you think of Paul, he's not really praying here new things, totally new things for us. He is praying for Christians like you and me. If I were to pray for you, or if we were to pray for the church in the Middle East, let's say under ISIS, what we will pray? We will say, Lord, they are in a difficult situation. They are under persecution. Give them strength. Protect them. And deliver them. Deliver them. Maybe send good soldiers, good armies that can bring freedom to them. But you see, Paul says, says you know, these, these Christians in the Middle East, uh, the, the churches around Ephesus and all of those churches where he sends these letters, they are under big persecution. There is persecution. And in fact, Paul is in chains in Rome when he writes this letter. And he says, Paul, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, I kneel before the Father. But not for those things which are important, but he says, I am asking God for something new for you. And it is both a gift from God, but it's also something that you can desire and should desire and should pray for and should wish to happen in your life. So look what Paul is saying. Paul is praying for us, you know. But at the same time, we know these things. He said it before. Paul says, I want Christ to dwell in your in your hearts. Well, earlier in chapter 2, he already said that Christ lives in us, right? He then says in verse 319, I want that you will know the love of Christ. In chapter 2, he already said that God's great love for us is shown in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 319, I want you to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In chapter 1, he already said to us, in Christ, 
We all have God's fullness. So why then is he praying? So on the, on, on the one side, on the one hand, Paul says, you have all of these things I already talked about. And theoretically, that is in your mind, you are convinced of this truth. But he basically says, now I want practically, actually for you to be true. I want those things to happen in your life. I want you to grasp how wide and long and how deep and wide is God's love for you in Christ. And I want you to know, I want you to know this love because this love surpasses your mind. You may have understanding, but he says, I want you to know this love because it surpasses knowledge. It's beyond what you can, your mind can comprehend. It's a love that is beyond human capacity. The capacity of the mind. So why do we need it? Because there's a distance between believing that Christ loves us and experiences Christ's love in your inner being. For instance, we all learn to say, Jesus loves me. Yes, I know for the Bible tells me so. We learn that when we are little, right? That's a powerful, powerful belief, right? Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. It's a powerful knowledge. But do we really, as adults, experience that? Do we live in God's love? Do we understand what that, what that love is? Do we experience that? So it's, it's, a, it's a question between experience, belief, and experience. It's, it's this debate, you know, and some of us think, well, belief, belief is important and maybe more important than experience. Some other Christians will say, no, 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 experience is more important than belief. And Paul comes to say, no, I want you to know, to grasp, and to know I want both of these things to work together. Just think about this. We, on the one side, we have to be careful because you don't want your experience to trump the Bible. You don't want to go to the Bible with the cultural lenses and say, this is what the Bible says. But at the same time, you want the, you want the Bible to lead, to lead and to guide your experiences. You want the Bible to say, this is how you ought to experience God. This is how you ought to experience His freedom. Um, there is no place, I think, in the Bible where the Bible says, you know what? Let your inner light tell you what to do, right? The culture will say, meditate on these things or go and find the light in yourself, the guide in yourself. No, the Bible says it is still God's word. And Paul wants to say it is the belief that is important, but you have to balance that. So think about this. If I say to somebody says, you know, communism in theory is good, right? In your mind, you can say, in theory, it sounds so good. Taking care of the poor, being an egalitarian society where everybody gets taken care of. There's no unemployment. Well, in theory, it sounds good. But in practice, if you have experienced communism, it's a total different game. It's a horrible, criminal, and some, some people say diabolic system. Because you take out of the picture and you create a man's society in which the strong dominates. Let's assume that you are legally wealthy because you had a relative who allowed, and when she died, he, he left a lot of money for you in a bank, in an account. And you even uh, sometimes forget about it. The, the account keeps growing, and it's huge. And you lead your own life, 
And one time you have a need, and you go through a need. You, you cannot access the fund. You even uh, don't know how to access it because you've never looked at it. And you live in, in need, in striking poverty. That wouldn't make sense, right? Practically, you are poor. Legally, you are rich. And Paul basically says that should not happen. In Christ, we are rich. So it's this distinction between what we know to be true for us in principle. Oh, yeah, God loves us. We have all the riches of Christ. And what is true for us practically and existentially, what we really experience. This past week, a teenager said to me, I am a vegetarian. But then she said, except for chicken. (laughs) It's like saying, I am a Christian, except I don't believe in the Bible. Or I am a Christian, but Paul is so wrong. On so many occasions, right? I'm a Christian, but don't touch my intimate life. You know, that's for me to decide what I do there. I'm a Christian, but don't touch my finances. Or I'm a Christian, but, you know, I, I don't, don't, don't talk to me about family and faithfulness, right? To my kids. I'm a Christian, but don't tell me to obey my parents. Because I do what I please. You see, you cannot do that with Christianity. So what Paul's prayers assumes that most of us do that. That most of us live lives that are incongruent or inauthentic. And many times phoniness. There's a high degree of, of being phony and inauthentic. And he says, I want that to be solved in your life. Let's work on it, Paul says. Because the real problem is not financial. Some people say it's just financial. If I can fix my finances, everything, or it's physical. If I am healed of this illness, then everything will fall, or it can be relational. You know, if I can replace in my life this person with this other person, everything will be good. Or political. We say, if we have the right guy in charge, the right party in charge, or if we say, well, if the right Justice is there. You know, the, the right law is in place. Everything will fall into place. Or maybe the right education, you know. But Paul says, those are not bad things. You can have those things. But he's not praying for those such things. Paul says there is something more. It's an experiential knowledge. It's a knowledge that has to fall from your mind into your heart. It's, it's this knowledge that fuses your heart with your mind. It's a knowledge in which God comes to you and is present and it's real. You see some churches say we are focusing on the Word and others saying we are focusing on the Spirit. Those that focus on the Word, they say we emphasize doctrine, right? Doctrine, we emphasize faithfulness, knowing the Bible, and we emphasize obedience. And if you are in a crisis, we emphasize and we tell you be faithful to God, even in a crisis. The other churches say, well, we focus on power. We focus on knowing the Spirit of God, on being anointed by the Spirit. We want you to experience the Spirit, to be anointed. And they say, we want you, if you go to trouble, to confess your sins and maybe to check your faith because maybe you go through this trouble or maybe you are not healed of this illness because of your lack of faith. Well, that's a different perspective, right? Than the other one who says, you should be faithful in trouble. Stay faithful no matter what, even if you are under ISIS, right? Now, we need both. You know, we need both. The truth is that we need both. Some, some place, the truth is in the middle. When we are in trouble, we need to be faithful. We need to believe the Bible, but we also need to seek the power of the Holy Spirit. 
When we are in trouble, we also say, Lord, also forgive our sins. That's what Paul says, and, and the apostles, and James, and everybody else says, you know, forgive, forgive each other. Confess your sins to each other. Mend your relationship. Even when we come to the Lord's Supper, make sure if somebody has against you that you go and, and solve that problem. So Paul says, I want all of you to live rich. Just think that you have a briefcase with this uh, casino, you know, chips. And you just play with them. You have no idea. You think that maybe they're just for play, right? You have no idea that each one of them is so valuable. And you never, you never cash them in. And Paul says, you are so rich. You are so rich beyond belief. I want you to go all in. Just cash everything. Get everything that you are. Live at the level that, we, that God wants you to live. Get there. So how do you get it? What is it that we are missing? It's hard to describe, right? It's hard to describe something that is so hard to define. So I'm not even trying to define it. What I would like us to do is just go one more through the three petitions. Paul says this. Out of his glorious vision, this is what I pray for you. God may strengthen you with power to the Spirit in your inner being. Something I pray that will, will give you power in your heart, in your core being. I pray that you will grasp how wide and long and high deep, how deep and high is the love of Christ for you. And you will know this love that surpasses knowledge. And I pray finally, Paul says, that you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you will do not lack things because you will, you will experience God to its fullness. Yeah, those are problems, like I said, financial. But when you do this, when you get in this place, Paul says, when you are blessed... All of those things fall into place. All of those things have their place in your life, but this is the main thing. So keep the main thing, the main thing. What is it that we are missing then? What is it that we are missing? What do we do? You know, the best thing to do is, like I said, to try to not define it, but describe it. This is how one of the philosophers, Pascal, did describe his experience of God, of God's love. He says, from about half uh, past ten in the evening until half past midnight. In fact, this note was found in his coat after he died. It was so pressured that he kept it in his coat. And he says, fire! God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers. Although he was a scholar, he was a philosopher. And he said, certainty, certainty, heartfelt, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, the world forgotten and everything except God. He can only be found by the ways taught in the Gospels. And then he went on and on and he says, joy, 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 tears of joy. And this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Sweet and total renunciation. Total submission to Jesus. I will not forget your word. Amen. That was his powerful experience of God's love, of God's overwhelming presence in his life. And that's what Paul kind of talks about it. Look at some of the, the, the greatest, maybe, American theologian, Jonathan Edwards. He makes the distinction between tasting 
in your understanding in, with, with, with your senses and understanding in your mind. He says, there is a difference between having an opinion, which is like a faith, a belief, that God is holy and gracious, and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. There is a difference, he says, between having a rational judgment or an opinion that honey is sweet, that my grandma's or, or my mother-in-law's cheese pie is amazing. It's just a rational understanding. And having a sense of its sweetness, it's a big difference eating those things. That's why the Lord says, come and taste that the Lord is good. And the psalmist says, your word is sweeter than honey. Sweeter than honey. And then there's another preacher, Whitefield. He was doing the great revivals and he preached about 10 sermons every day to many, many multitudes. And God's love came and overpowered him and until the point he said, please stop, Lord. I have to get some rest now. Please stop. Let me rest. And then maybe you heard of Moody. This is how one day he describes Moody, the great preacher of the 19th century. He says, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ha ask him to stay his hand. He was almost killed. He said, if God, if you go, you will just crush me with your love. And finally, a lady, Teresa of Avila, 16th century, she says, This prayer was a glorious foolishness, a heavenly madness, where the true wisdom is learned. And it is for the soul a most delightful way of enjoying. I was bewildered and inebriated in his love. My soul desired to cry out and was beside itself. I will not bear so much joy, she said. It's hard to describe it or to define it, but we can only understand what people experience. Now, how do you grab this? It will be easy to say, well, Paul gives us six steps from here to there. But even Paul says, there's no recipe. I just pray that somehow you will experience it, that God will come and fill you and give you that, and you will grasp it. You will almost... Take it from God. And I like what Hudson Taylor, a missionary, said. She, he had a daily prayer. Maybe one thing is to wrestle with God in prayer. What if you have a prayer that you pray regularly? And he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord Jesus, make yourself to me a living, bright reality. What if we say, Lord, I know that you will not reveal yourself to me and your power every day. I will not be so intensive as to live at high capacity every day. But I want you from now and then to remember me. And show your bright side to me. Would you do that? You know, to grasp, to grasp how wide and deep. And so to grasp is basically to wrestle someone, to rob somebody else. And we are not robbing God. We are just people like who found a cave with riches, with gold and precious stones. And we go in when we take those for us. They are there for us. Paul says they are all there. Lord, make them have that fullness to the full capacity. I like how what Christine Kane said. She, Christine Kane said, We live and walk on earth like people who are delivered, but not free. And Paul says, You need to walk as somebody who is delivered and free, and free in Christ. 
We live in poverty often, right? We live in poverty. Just look at your life and my life. And this is honest. That's why we come here to repent, to ask God to continue to walk with us on our journey of growth. If we compare ourselves with each other, we either come up with feelings of superiority and pride or inferiority and envy and jealousy. We live with fears, with angers, with strife, with mockery. We live unhappy and insecure. And if people look at us, many times they think that we are not different than the non, non-believers, the unchurched. We live without conviction, without assurance many times. And Paul says, I want you to live richly, not poorly. We not only need prayer, we need Bible study, like I said. We not only need intellectual knowledge, but we also need a mystical, mystical side. It's both a fusion, like I said, of mind and heart. And Paul said, I want both of those to be true to you. You should grasp those things. And finally, remember that you said that we discovered what it means, community, this, this 10 days of immersion. And Paul says, I want to with all, together with all the saints, to get to this experience. You and all the saints. It's an individual, but it's also communal. In the church, we come together for worship, right? We open the scriptures together. And sometimes it can happen here as we confess our sins or bring our offerings or serve each other. Maybe at Streams of Hope or at Bridge Street House of Prayer or someplace. God can come with His power and might in so many ways in your life. Or it can be individually in your home or at your workplace. It always has to be a Christ-centered experience. It's always about the love of Christ that surpasses this knowledge. Is wide? How wide it is? Is infinitely wide. You know, if you think of something wide, this is infinitely. It it, it gathers people from all nations. In Revelation, it says people from all the nations will be there. Well, people say that the universe is I don't know, you know, how many like 13 billion or 14 billion light years away. From one end to the other. And the question is really. What's after the end? Is it like a wall or what? It's infinite. God's love is infinite. There's no end to it. It's so, it's so long. That long before the creation of this world. The lamb was slain. The revelations, the revelations say. You cannot run from God's love. In fact. Because his hand is so rich. It can reach you anywhere. It's so high. That he stayed lifted on a cross. And he says, when I will be lifted on a cross, I will pull the whole world to me. And then in the same book, Paul says, and he, because of the cross, was lifted up to be the ruler of all things. And to control all things and all authority in the heavenly places are under his feet. And then Paul says, you too are lifted up high. We are moved with Christ and we live in the heavenly places. And how deep is it? It's so deep that he goes to hell for us. There is no more... A dark place, darker than hell. And he says when he's on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is no place where your sin can take you and me. And he cannot reach there and still grab you. And bring you back into his presence and transform you and help you to experience how wide and how long, how high and how deep is this love of Christ in Jesus Christ. This love that... That he says, I want you to grasp. I want you to rob the treasures of this rob. I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge and understanding. That is beyond what your mind can conceive. 
Because only when your mind is combined with your heart, you in your inner being experience God in a way that nothing else can compare to that experience. And that's what Paul wants for us. To be touched, to be transformed, to be made a different being in this love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for Christ and for his love for us. And we ask that you will continue to teach us how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is this love of Jesus Christ for us. And to help us to grasp it and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, to know it experientially. And we pray that you will walk with us this coming week. In Christ's name, amen. Would you please stand and receive God's uh, departing greeting? If you would like somebody to pray for you, the prayer room is available and they will love to pray with you. And I would like just to read this blessing at the end from, uh, from the last uh, two verses. Now to him, Paul says, now to him, to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace.